Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. What do you think about whether or not your bank should be able to lend to any business they want to? Should there be restrictions handed down from our uh, government agencies regulating banks and how they do business? And that's probably an overstatement, but we're going to talk to somebody who can tell us what's going on currently in terms of regulating banks and the access of businesses and consumers to those banks. My guest is John Burlaw. He is the senior follow, uh, excuse me, senior fellow and for banking and finance at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. John, welcome to of consuming interest. Yes, thank thank you. I'm, I'm it's it's so good it's so good to be on with you, Shirley. Now I know that you just wrote something that I saw uh, talking about a new mandate on bank lending. Would you put that into perspective for us? What is it? What is it called? Yes, it is called the. Uh, of the rule on fair access to financial services done by President Trump, former President Trump's acting director uh, of the Office of Comptroller of the C- Currency, who just uh, who just left his position and did, made this rule final when he left. And I disagreed with some of my uh, um, uh, fellow, you know, conservatives and uh, and people are usually in favor of, of, of the free market. I consider myself a, a libertarian that I don't think the government should pressure um, banks not to lend to certain industries like like uh, guns or um, or other or other industries as as the Obama administration did in hot occupation choke point. But I don't think they should be forced to lend to certain industries either. And this basically makes business a protected types of business, a protected class under the fair lending laws and says they can't categorically exclude lending to certain types of businesses, even if, you know, a lot, as with a lot of banks, particularly smaller banks, specialize in lending to certain types of businesses. And I think that would be, you know, a disaster for, uh, and, you know, may, you know, be harmful to, you know, banks, you know, lending, lending strategy and how, you know, how they, you know, maintain a safe balance sheet as well as, you know, then uh, that costs and, and the harm. Right. So, so basically, what you're telling me is is that there's there was a regulation handed down during the Trump administration, which uh, has now been put into effect just before the OCC acting director left, and that regulation kind of goes to the other extreme. I guess is would be one way to say it, to put it from where Operation Choke Point during the Obama administration was, was really penalizing certain classes of businesses, or that may be an oversimplification, but an overstatement, but at any rate, is that true? Is that what you're saying to me? Is that what we have now here is a new regulation that actually goes in the other direction, but at the same time, it may force banks to deal with companies they would not normally deal with. With beyond their area of expertise, because one of the things that you had written about was was how banks were using um, their knowledge to lend, and like you were talking about a farmers and merchants bank, which I think is a, a one of the oldest um, minority owned banks in the country, and I think it's called M and F now. And you wrote very well on how they were specialized. And so this new regulation 
would mean that banks would not be able to specialize. Is that part yes, of it? Yes, mechanics and farmers banks in the South. And there are there are over a dozen banks that have farmers in the title. That's how that's how banks banks started. And and but yes, and, and so they they specialize, but if you were to say, as this rule does, that Brian Brooks has actually compared it to redlining within with individuals, which um, uh, and 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 said and said you can't you can't redline certain uh, certain industries. You have to give an individual a risk based ass assessment for each individual business. I mean, but that's going to be. I mean, banks do this with no ill will. They just lend to like the African American Mechanics and Farmers Bank you mentioned to with certain banks. They they. They, they, they specialize in. And if you say they have to do every industry, especially one on the frontier of tech, you know, which is fine, but not everybody specializes in, in, in that. That's, so that's, they, they may actually lack the skills and the expertise to do a true evaluation of whether this business is a good loan um, opportunity for them so that they don't have the same skill sets as some other banks might have that specialize in that area. They don't have the same skill sets in order to evaluate the structure of this business. Would that be part of it? Yes, yes, I think that that's that's very definitely a part of it. And they would have to justify each time whether it you know it's it is an it's an individual risk it, whether that the, there would be an individual you know a, a risk based uh, reason for that and just said, say that you know do. They they might be able to defend defend the decision, but they would have to come up with an awful lot of a lot of paperwork, and it's just uh, that's why we say we said at the time of Operation Choke Point. I mean, the banks should be themselves the one who decide who uh, uh, in most circumstances who decide what the risks are. Well, now Operation Choke Point was designed to put payday lenders out of business, or maybe that's not a fair statement, but that seemed to be part of the perception of what it was designed for was to put out a business. And I think it also was penalizing some um, companies that had to do with, with guns, I believe. Um, tell us a little bit about what Operation Choke Point, which seems to be on the other end of this spectrum. Yes, Operation Choke Point. It was coordinated through agencies in the Obama administration, through the um, from the Justice Department to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, of just saying regulatory guidance, saying that um, uh, you know it would be a reputational risk for banks to loan or provide services to payday loan companies, to gun dealers, even somehow porn <laughs> got on the list and some and some porn businesses got um uh, you sort of sort well, now of what were they what were they at that point during operation choke choke point what were they doing to a bank if they decided to move ahead and make a loan to these were they being penalized were they being fined or what was the story it was it was it was largely it was largely the threat, but that's what they were basically saying that your bank examiner may not give you a good report if these loans were on were on the book. I mean, we don't know everything. Some of the things are still being investigated, but we applauded when the Trump administration put an end to that. But we said at the time that it should be up to banks. But now we're you know the the. The Trump administration went the other direction and said and said, you can you can't. Well, you can't. You must, you know, make your loans available to to all industries. And, and it's and what we what I also wrote about it is that something that the and I'm not, 
if if another if the Biden administration were so inclined, it could make that you know toward its favorite industries. It could direct banks toward you know say um, uh, say say a green energy company or sure. or uh, sure. Or let's let's take let's come back and talk to the, about this, uh, John. I just need to take a quick break here. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is John Burlaw. He is a he's a senior fellow. At the uh, in banking and finance at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and we're talking about a new regulation that's come out from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, having to do with how banks make loans to businesses. And this this regulation kind of goes to the other extreme from what o- Operation Chokepoint did back in the the 2012 and and thereabouts. And this one says you have to lend to everybody. And there's always the threat of a fine if you don't do it. Did people, were any institutions fined during Operation Chokepoint, John, do you know? Or were they, did they just kind of quake and fear not lend to those institutions? Not that I know, no, they kind of quaked in fear because if they said, you know, your regulator will go, will go after you in a bank exam. So I don't know. I don't know there would be a direct fine. It just might. They may have been rated poorly in bank exams if they had lent lent to these industries. Sure. And it wouldn't come. It wouldn't have been direct. But that's the the thing. Even you know the government. We are opposed to the government telling people you know who they you know if it's a legal industry who they can and can't lend to. Right. But also for for anything you know we think you know we've been supportive of a bipartisan bill, the Safe Banking Act, that would would lift barriers or clarify the law so that banks could lend to marijuana businesses in, in states where it's legal. At the same time, we don't think the government should, you know, should force, should force lending to certain businesses. There, um, uh, there have been, you know, banks, you know, responding to campaigns, um, uh, um, as, as far as, as far as, you know, you know, of, you know, from gun control groups, from climate groups of not to lend to oil pipelines or, right. or firearms manufacturers. And, and that should not be a part of the lending picture, should it? It should be the financial stability and viability of those companies. It should be. And we disagree with the campaigns, but at the same time, we don't think the government should, you know, should force the, should force to them to lend yep. to the companies either. Because how, one thing, how do you know whether it's, you know, in, the intent is, Political of a bank right. or a bank think it's thinks it's a bad business risk. I if you get into you know if you get into start you know it's the government sort of micromanaging lending decisions and you could really put the banks and then the economy and, and, and of course their depositors and uh, uh, consumers at, at risk if you if you say they have to uh, they can't you know categorically exclude even for business reasons a certain a certain industry. Right. So, so going, going back into what right now, the fair access regulation, which uh, has just gone into effect. Um, I'd be willing to bet the Biden administration doesn't let it stand, but as you said, they may, because it may favor some of their political and banking should not be political. It's unfortunately, it, it's kind of turned into a political football here. You can't land to these people. They're not my friends. Um, and I think that the the fair access rule was probably set in place in order to try to balance that out, but it goes to the other extremes and you got to lend to everybody, which that may not be desirable. And will some of the impact of this, John, be 
heavier on smaller banks who, who right now are specializing in certain areas. That means if somebody outside, totally outside their area of expertise goes in and says, I want to buy a loan and they present their, their program, then the bank can't say, well, we don't loan in this area. They're going to have to consider that loan. Right. I make the point and I have applauded, you know, some of the Trump regulators for allowing getting rid of some of the barriers to entries for new banks. Uh, um, sure. But these new banks specialize in certain things like there's one a cryptocurrency bank that the OCC just issued a charter for, which I think is, is great. Um, it's called Anchorage Bank. But then again, but then this rule could say, you know, if, to this digital bank, well, you have to uh, loan right. to this paper company in your area. So, I mean, and that's not what they specialize in. So right. regulations always hurt smaller banks that don't have the attorneys, the staff to comply, to comply with this, you know, from Dodd-Frank to Sarbanes-Oxley and this regulation, you know, from the Trump administration will be no, will be no different. Um, it actually, it was made final in, uh, you know, the, about uh, two weeks ago um, in the last days of the Trump administration it actually goes into effect in April, if not stopped by the Biden administration or overturned in Congress or, or by a, or by a lawsuit. So it, it's, well, you it's, make the point in an article you wrote about it, that you did not think you thought that it was outside the realm of, of the scope of regulation of the OCC. Am I correct on that? I, yes, they're going beyond their authority because um, uh, Congress has never added, has never said, um, I, you know, we think it's very important that regulations, regulators not make the law, but enforce the law Congress writes. That's a consistent theme of ours. Congress has never said that, you know, that, that, that type of business is, 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 you know, if you don't, lend or deal with a certain type of business, you're violating fair lending or anti-discrimination law. Yet the OCC is trying to do this by fiat. They're claiming justification. Mm -hmm. They're trying to say the Community Reinvestment Act, Equal Credit Opportunity Act has always said that, and it's just not so. So, you know, if, if people really want to do this, let's have a debate in Congress. Let's not do it, you know, with a regulator by, by fiat, which this, which this rule does. So, so basically, um, you also mentioned that it's going to affect consumers. How, how will there be a direct effect on consumers? How is that going to impact in the consumer, the consumer that uses the bank? I think it always, I mean, you know, the indirect costs are always passed on to consumers that, um, uh, is that, um, you know, if banks are spending more money on this, they may not be able to give, you know, regular consumers, uh, uh, you know, a, a break on, on their consumer loans, their mortgages, they, and offer, they may have to raise their rates to help comply with this. It may the, not the be able to pay banking, Yeah, it'll just increase the cost of banking to the consumer. Yes. If, if this goes into effect. What's your what's your best guess? And I suspect you all are listening to the pulse of what's going on on the Hill and and so on as to where the fate of this uh, this fair access reg is going to be. And um, since we're about to take a break here, think about that and let's come back and discuss what you think the future of this fair access reg is going to be and whether or not the Biden administration has the wherewithal to, to maybe make some changes. 
Um, so let's just take a, a brief pause here. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is John Burlaw. He is a senior fellow in banking and finance with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And, and we're talking about some of the concerns about a new regulation that just came out, um, which is kind of the opposite spectrum from Operation Choke Point, which was saying to banks, don't lend to these industries. And this one is saying, lend to everybody. And, and the point being, as John says, and it seems to me like we need to be somewhere in the middle on this, John. Um, what do you think is gonna be the future of this regulation? That's a very good question. And I, one of my uh, skills is not predicting the future. But <laughs> Get out your crystal ball, John. You know you can do it. <laughs> All right. All right. I don't, since it's a final rule, I, I think the Biden administration is going to have to uh, but it, follow the law. It may be difficult for the Biden administration to get rid of this uh, unilaterally, um, although, the, although they may try, they may try or they may find it, you know, useful for some of their ends. That's what I'm, that's the big million dollar question. Congress could overturn this rule um, uh, in, uh, uh, by the Congressional Review Act, which allows, you know, within 60 legislative days of anybody could, um, uh, Congress, the House and the Senate could take a vote and then if the president signs it, it's like any other bill and the regulation sure. is thrown out. But this would take floor time and there's a lot of what the, Biden administration was was doing what wanted to do and 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 the new and the Democrats in the Senate want to do so I don't know how big a priority this would be it's also possible this could be enjoined in the courts I think they I think there are a lot of a lot of grounds including the fact that say the the, the some of the cost benefit analysis of this rule regulatory flexibility only looked at banks over a hundred billion when the rule made it clear it would it would hit smaller and mid-sized banks, really any size bank, if they meet like a certain criteria of like like raising the price of a, of, of a loan or um, just kind of vague vague criteria for that. So that could have been the flawed you know regulatory analysis. Only doing this as far as as far as twelve minutes after after uh, after comment. So I think um, this is this is going to be. Um, you know, there are a lot of, and we're certainly, we would certainly be pushing. We would cheer on the, you know, we are, we are nonpartisan. We look at, you know, what's good policy. So we would be cheering that the Biden administration wanted to throw this, found some legal way to throw this out or if Congress overturned it or if the courts, um, or if the courts threw it out. So, but, you know, there's no. Going back to the example that we were talking about earlier, the uh, F&M Bank, the Farmers and Merchants Bank, I believe it is. And they're still in existence. So what would happen to a bank like that? They'd have to change totally. If this stays in effect, would they have to change, totally change their operating structure? They would certainly have to hire a lot of, you know, some new employees um, and they would, and just to deal with this, I would imagine, and would have to put, you know, the, uh, the staff hours or man hours there, which would prevent them from doing other things and serving and serving their customers in, in, a, in other ways. So yes, this could be, you know, for for small banks, for minority-owned banks, for niche banks, um, all of those that are, you know, that are, you know, that offer an alternative to the big banks. This could this could be very bad for this would be very bad for them. Well, it, it seems to me that the bank is going to know what their relationship should be with the 
with the consumer or the business and better than a regulator who's sitting off in somewhere in an office in Washington, D.C., making rules for the banks that are out in rural America, for example. Um, all of them are under different pressures and, and probably have different clientele. Um, so there is a possibility that this may not go into effect. It doesn't go into effect, you say, until April which is a little bit of, of wiggle time there. But what is the banking industry itself, the banking association saying about this? They're the Bank Policy Institute, the American Bankers Association, they've all, Consumer Bankers Association, have all come out with statements strongly against this. I think probably some of the smaller bank associations, in fact, if your listeners know any of them, they should tell them. And of course, they can always make their own voices heard to the OCC and the, and the, and the, and the Congress is that the smaller bank associations need to realize this could hit them the hardest and start, yeah. and start speaking out again uh, uh, about, about this. Just, I mean, and, this and this isn't a bad time for our economy when everybody is suffering. Businesses are closing. We're seeing people losing money right and left. Consumers are going into debt. There's so many negative things going on. We don't need any other pressures on them right now. Uh, it seems like this is this is one. Well, look, we hope that you're going to keep us posted on what happens here. Uh, John, what is your next step? You're just going to keep writing and talking about the subject? I, I am at CEI.org, our, our website, uh, and I will be, 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 be keep, keep weighing in and keep uh, um, and uh, we'll, we'll certainly but, keep. Go ahead. I have a secret, John. I know that you don't just look at finances. I know you look at the founder of our company, George Washington, right? Yes. And yes. I'm eagerly looking forward to reading your book. Um, I just got it last night, so I haven't had a chance to even crack the first page yet. But tell us what it is. We've only got a, a like a minute here. Yes, the book is called George Washington Entrepreneur, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold about George Washington's innovative business ventures from mule breeding to the whiskey distillery that's now uh, been built at Mount Vernon. And also the red tape he had to fight uh, from the British is one of the things that motivated him to start a new nation. Well, that's going to be fascinating. I, I, I've enjoyed my visits to Mount Vernon so much, and it's fascinating to see him about crops and all the things that he was doing. He and Thomas Jefferson were both very innovative in terms of agriculture and all of that sort of stuff. And of course, they had to be. I mean, they were depending on their food supply in large part. So uh, we will look forward to that, John. Again, tell our, our listeners the name of the book. George Washington Entrepreneur, available where books are sold wherever. And I've got an electronic copy of it that I am going to sit down with my tablet tonight and start reading it, John. And I'm so glad and thank you so much. And we look, we look forward to talking about this in the future here too. So it's just going to show that you're a much more rounded person than just looking at banking and finance. So <laughs> I like I that. How did you get interested in George Washington? I, some of my trips to Mount Vernon and then when oh, they yeah whiskey distillery i i uh i just i just thought it was and, and i just want to bring i mean people know about Je some of jefferson's innovations and franklin's washington is revered but sometimes people don't really know about what an active mind he had and i'm just hoping yeah 
Well, we're going to find out. And thank you so much. We're going to do something on that down the road, John. I really look forward to it. Thank you so much for being with us today. My guest has been John Burlaw. He is a senior fellow in banking and finance at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. You've been listening to Off Consuming Interest right here in the Federal News Network. I'm Shirley Rooker. You can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. And we'd like to thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.